Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Azband. Our daf of the day, Masachi Yevamot, daf Mem Aleph, page 41. It's another daf with two Bishnayot. I'm going to take the first one. Yerdena, you'll take the second one. Uh, we have here, it's again, like Yevamot, word problems, whatever, where there's a real puzzle here. So we have a Cholet's Levamto, a man has died, his widow has, I'm sorry, he a man who has a brother has died, Without children, the brother is going. The brother is going to do chalitza to the widow with the widow, not to with the widow. Benasa, actually, she does it to him. Um, so what happens? This chalitza has taken place. Now the now the brother of the the yavam, right, the man who has done chalitza, um, marries the sister. Of the woman who has had or who has done chalitza to the man, right? So the the right. So this this is a family of three brothers at least, right? One has died, one has done chalitza, and one now marries the sister of the widow for who has who is now also the cholitzit from the second brother. Now what happens? Vamate. that third brother now dies. Cholitzit v'lobit yabemet. So. What has to happen to the widow of this of the third? I'm calling him the third brother, right? The the second brother to marry the sister, a new sister, right? So she, this woman, cannot have yibum with the brother. Why? Because um, because of the situation of her her sister, who's the chalutza of the brother, she cannot then also have yibum with the the person who has done chalitza with her sister. And likewise, meaning it's a comparable situation to one who divorces his wife and then the brother marries her sister, right? Meaning so after the divorce, the brother marries a sister and then the brother dies, meaning the one who marries the sister dies. And then that same woman is again, again, she's, she's actually fully exempt. She can't have chalitza. Or Yibum, because again, the sister of the former, uh, because she's the sister of his former wife, she can't marry him, or she is forbidden to him. And this is basically a way of making sure that people like don't divorce each other to marry their sis- sisters-in-law. I think, right? That's fundamentally the prohibit prohibition here. Um, okay, the Mishnah continues. It's actually a pretty long Mishnah. Or with several different kinds of cases. We've got a case here of the widow who is waiting for the Yavam. Now, either for Yibam or Chalitza, right? Shomer Yavam, that's the while she's waiting. So now, in that time, the brother, his brother, got uh, betrothed her sister. So they say to that brother, wait, do not marry the woman you just betrothed until your other brother does chalitza or yibum with the shomeret yavam. Meaning what we're talking about here is the complications that arise between siblings, multiple siblings, when there's still the requirement for yibum or chalitza for one party, what happens to all the other parties? And then lastly, or the last kind of case in the Mishnah, so if the brother of the one who's betrothed to the, to the sister of the Yavama, 
eight, meaning another bro brother, right? Chalatla achiv o knasa. So the brother of one who is betrothed to the sister of the Yavama does chalitza or yibum. Yichnos et ishto. Then he can marry. Then he can marry to the person who was the was the betrothed woman, right? Meaning the brother can marry, but the betrothed woman, because now they've they've kind of removed that pro, um, potential prohibiting bond. So what happens if while she's uh, uh, I was going to say this while she's waiting, but I think even if after she's even after she's had yibum, meta yevama, she dies. Well, then he can marry the, he's a, it says ishto, it means the sister, right? The whole point is that he can marry the, his wife, who is her sister. Meit yavab, if he dies, yotzi et ishto baget. So then, um, if the yavam died, without doing, without doing anything that would dissolve that, that yibum requirement, then he has to, he, the brother, has to divorce his wife because, again, she has now become fundamentally been forbidden to him um, as the sister of the woman that uh, of the Yavama. And the brother's wife, he, he, he does chalitza, or she does chalitza, rather, um, because she is also forbidden to him as the sister of his grusha, of his divorcee. So this is why I say these are the the word problems, they end up being a puzzle to figure out, you know, how many different, um, how many different ways can you prohibit the sister or the brother of the people who are going to be involved in Yibum and then make sure that if, depending on the timing, who dies when, it's permitted or or then prohibited. Um, yeah, we got one of these nice little uh, word problem ones uh, over here as well. I think one of the things I'm recognizing is, you know, how much Yibum sort of affected the whole family, right? And, you know, now you sort of have a Mishnah basically, uh, you know, saying like it, it, it affects a bunch of other relationships. And again, I think people probably lived in very small towns and there was probably a lot of sort of interfamily marriage. Um, but I don't know, there was something like emotional to me about this mission, because in other words, you have somebody who presumably died young or died without children. And, you know, this Yibam or Chalitza needs to be done. And, you know, it, it sort of affects everybody else in the family. It's not really just about the relationship between the Yavam and the Yavama. Like this Mishnah really explains sort of the ripple effects to everybody else. I think also we... I'm appreciating your point of the towns, of the small towns. I don't know that many people, not nobody, but I don't know that many people where there's an issue of siblings marrying siblings, right? It happens now and again, but I think our world has expanded to the extent that, like, I don't know, your Dana, do you know siblings married yes, to siblings? I know one. I know one family who that is true of. Right. I also I can name maybe two, but that's considering the number of people that between you and me that we know collectively in the world, I, I think it's not such a common thing. I don't know whether this was common in the, <laughs> excuse me, in the Mishnah, or if they're just exploring the parameters, but I feel like it must have been much more common than nowadays. That's the sense this Mishnah is practical. I don't know. I do. It doesn't feel boundary pushing. It feels like this was a practical concern. Um, all right. I'm going to move on now to the second Mishnah on the page. 
So we learned this before, right? That the Yavama cannot do chalitza or go into the actual marriage until she's waited three months after the husband's death. And this is true of all women that they cannot uh, either do a rusin, right? The first half of the second marriage uh, of the marriage process or nisuin until three months have ended basically since their previous uh, marriage. And the reason for this is to make sure that uh, a woman is, uh, you know, not pregnant. Um, and if she is, that she should obviously give birth and have that baby before she, uh, before she remarried. And, you know, whether, and this is sort of interesting here, right? It says this applies both to virgins and to non-virgins. Um, to divorcees or to widows. And whether somebody had nisuin or whether they were just a rusin, which is sort of, you know, again, sort of like the engagement period, but there is, but there was kedushin that was done there. So in other words, this is just the standard rule. Everybody needs to wait uh, three months here. Now, I'm not totally understanding exactly what the bitulot category is. I guess it would be that there was some sort of circumstance where a marriage wasn't consummated. Um, but, uh, you know, but but that's what the Mishnah says. It, it really just applies to all women. If you're leaving one marriage to go to another marriage, you have to re- you have to wait for these three months. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, So the woman, Rabbi Yehuda says, the woman who were married to their previous husbands, if they did Nisuin, they could at least enter into Erosin. That would be okay. And those who had erosin done, right, who just had that sort of first half, they actually can go into Nisun without waiting the three months. Chutz mina arusot shabi Yehuda, except for arusot who are in Yehuda, mipinei shalibo gas bat, because the groom is familiar with her. In other words, this is sort of an interesting thing that the, uh, apparently there was a tradition or a custom there that there the couple could actually be alone before Nisuin was actually done. Um, and it's possible that, you know, they may have had a sexual relationship there. So we have to, even during a Rusin, which, uh, you know, they should not have had a sexual relationship, but in Yehuda, that may not have been the case. So Rabbi Yehuda says, at least for, um, uh, you know, for the people in Yehuda, yeah, you still would need to wait. Uh, you would still need to wait these three months uh, just for a Rusin. Rabbi Yossi says everybody can basically enter in a rusin, um, except for a widow, because she's in a mourning period. Now, I think this is sort of a very sensitive uh, opinion of Rabbi Yossi. I, I'd like to think it is at least, because remember, a woman, a big primary motivator of marriage was actually economic reasons, allowed women to be supported and to take care of their family. And so it may be that if a woman was widowed, her previous, you know, husband's family or her, you know, her family uh, may want to try to get her married off as quickly as possible again so that she would be supported if she had any children as a widow. And Rabbi Yossi is basically saying a widow needs time, right? Like we don't we don't force them into marriage. Uh, uh, you know, they don't have to they don't have to enter a Rusin um, really, uh, you know, so quickly. But now the Gemara asks a great question, right? Right. So it makes sense. They can't do Yibam right away. Like she needs to wait three months. She could be pregnant. 
right? Because let's say she has a, you know, she'll, she'll have a baby, right? And she didn't know that she was pregnant. Um, and then, you know, it may be that actually there was an Easter of Eshadach, right? Because if she was pregnant by the deceased husband, Yibum did not need to happen. And the Erva Isur of Eshadach, right, of being with your brother's wife uh, isn't suspended anymore. Um, but the question is, why for Chalitza? In other words, with Chalitza, there's not going to be any sexual relationship. Why wait for three months? Just let them do Chalitza quickly and get it over with. So the Gemara answers, Lema Tahabe Tiyuta de Rabbi Yochanan. And so now they get back to that original discussion that we had about Rabbi Yochanan, right? Who said that pregnant women should not do chalitza. And basically they say, okay, this has to be, you know, uh, uh, this basically has to be a a, a refutation. It's a tiyufta um, about, uh, about Rabbi Yochanan. So it's kind of interesting the way that they go back and sort of, uh, you know, they sort of revisit this. So I'm not, then they go through a whole long uh, discussion about that. So I want to just jump down to a, a, another part on the top, which was interesting. And they quote here a Brisa, Ditanya. There was a story with somebody who came before Rabbi Yossi. Right? And he basically says, what's the halacha but doing chalitza within, within the three months? So Rabbi Yossi says, you can't do chalitza. So he then says, okay, let her do chalitza. What would be the problem with that? Because even if she's pregnant, there's no issue of a shadid. Right? So Rabbi Yossi Bates explains it by quoting this pasuk from Devarim, chapter 25, verse 7. Right? That if he does not want to basically take his babe, Right? So what this basically sort of says is if he wants he can, you know, sort of consummate this, this relationship. So this teaches us who's ever eligible for Yibum is also eligible for Chalitza. So in other words, here, Rabbi Yossi is making a teaching, whereas before we've had this theme that Chalitza is not equal to Yibum. They're not exchanged of each other. But Rabbi Yossi here is kind of making a teaching where they are. That in other words, whatever is true of Yibum is also going to be true of chalitza. So if you are prohibited from entering into Yibum for three months, that's also going to be true for chalitza. So I thought this was interesting because it seems to be a little bit counter to what we've said before about chalitza, really emphasizing that chalitza is not in place of Yibum. It's it's a lesser way of fulfilling an obligation. It's they don't they're not full exchanges. Meti Bravchaninas, Ravchanina raises an objection here. Haspe coats below meet yabmot. Right. So he says women who have a status of Yavama that is basically uncertain, they perform Chalitza, but they can't go into actual Yibum. So in other words, there seems to be a category of women who are only eligible for Chalitza and not for Yibum. And so the question would be, are those women, Sveikot, are they allowed to do Chalitza earlier? And so then the question is, my Sveikot, who are they? Right. It would be a woman whose kedushin to the first husband, to the deceased husband, it's not clear, right? Um, so why can't you go into Yibum? Let her go into Yibum, because if there's a suffix, right, then she's actually permitted to the Yabam, not even as a brother's wife, so who cares? So they say, no, that's not what it's referring to. 
Ezomahen Kiddush. So now we get back to, again, the mixed up Kiddushin, right? Where a man married one of two sisters and he doesn't know which one he did, right? So if you have a man who, if that man then dies childless, okay, the Avam cannot enter Yibum with either sister because it's possible he'll do it with the sister who actually didn't have Kedushin uh, with the brother, right? And she's actually forbidden him as the sister of the woman who actually needed to have Kedushin. Uh, sorry, who actually needed to do Yibum. Um, and so therefore, right, Bikatani Cholatzet. So this price would be teaching us this is a case where someone performs Chalitza. Now, to me, this has to be a boundary-pushing case because how could you be married? Could you, like, how long could your Kedushin be that you're still not clear who you were married to and then Yibum happens? It's like this case, this Suffolk case, doesn't totally uh, sort of make sense. And so I think the Gemara knows that because it sort of coincides Hachi Hashda, right? How could these, How could this be? Hatam im because if Eliyahu were to come and say, you know, okay, he actually did Kedushim with this one, she would actually be eligible for Chalitza and for Yibam. So it, it basically makes it clear that the sister who, you know, did Kedushim would actually be eligible for Yibam. And it's just this lack of not understanding, which is really the issue. And Hacha here, with a woman where we're talking about the first three months, if Eliyahu were to come and say this woman isn't pregnant, would one actually listen to him and actually allow Yibam? <laughs> I thought this was just a great passage. In other words, we always use Eliyahu as sort of this idea of like knowledge that we don't know. And so the question here is, okay, let's say you have that, you know, we didn't know if, you know, who he was Kedushin to. So if Eliyahu came and cleared that up, okay, we'd let her do Yibam. But let's say Eliyahu came and said she's actually not pregnant. Would you actually let her do Yibam earlier? Right? No, that wouldn't be. So it certainly wouldn't be the case because we know that a minor girl who can't become pregnant, even a minor girl, we make wait three months. In other words, the requirement of waiting three months isn't actually dependent on whether or not you have the knowledge of if this woman is pregnant, right? It's just that they have to wait three months. And it's just sort of like a, a, a you know, a takana, it's a decree. They have to just wait three, three months in order to become eligible to actually have uh, the Yibum uh, marriage. So I just thought this was a great passage. Um, I love the way that they invoke Eliyahu here, but I think it also makes the three month thing a little bit more understandable. It's not really about waiting to see if she's pregnant. Yes, that's part of it, but it's also like, it's just a standard that they put in. We're just going to make everybody wait three months. And even Eliyahu and Navi, you know, wouldn't be allowed to actually undo that 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 standard. I think this counts that Eliyahu shows up on the second day of Pesach when, you know, when people are still having Sidarim in Chutzlaretz, you know, inviting Eliyahu. He's coming to resolve everything, right? He's coming to participate yes. in the Sidarim all over the world. <laughs> yes, that that is definitely true. Um, right. So, so far, we've had two nice little uh, Pesach things since we started Yavam, since we uh, started Yavamas on Pesach. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rankus reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the staff on our Target Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.